Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, episode 52, in which I interview Jonathan Sims. But first... Transformations In which I recite verses from my father's book, Transformations, while listening to Ricochet Parts 1 and 2 by Tangerine Dream. And then, afterward, I talk about what I just read. Transformations by John Dan Reed Chapter 1, verse 12. You and I get to keep in mind, if we would sustain freedom here and freedom in the elsewheres, that those flesh-place fear junkies who play hide-and-seek, as we have before and appear to now, do so in a time continuum that can last many lifetimes. You and I know that it is Kali Yuga o'clock. They don't want to look at the cosmos clock. They don't want to look at or remember the agreements. They'd rather bang into them the hard way again and again. We know the agreements are obvious. They would rather not bother with remembering A wise one asked the morons, Why do you keep banging your head against the agreements? The morons chorused back, Because it feels so good when we stop. Morons at Kali Yuga o'clock are those who've created forgetting how to stop. Thirteen. Should we, you and I, Tell them ever about the rings of fire? Should we, you and I, tell them how to see eggs dancing on the street? Should we, you and I, tell them that the river of death is a wide river between a desert and a forest, and that when one walks through the wall to the other side, one sees the river between the desert and the forest? Why should we bother? They already know. The cycle is complete. And now for the footnotes. This is all pretty self-explanatory. Flesh Place Fear Junkies, I believe this is the first time he's started using that phrase. He'll use that for the rest of the book. It's very potent. I'll just take a moment to break it down. Flesh Place, that's how he's choosing to designate this place, because physical universe doesn't quite get it, because it's the literally the flesh place, the place of flesh, the place from the senses that are derived from the flesh. Flesh place, fear junkies, those who are junkied on fear. Junkies, for example, usually we're thinking of heroin when we think of junkies, but what if you were shooting up fear instead of heroin? Kali Yuga O'Clock. It's important to point out that there's a male demon called Kali, not the same as the mother goddess with the very popular destructive aspect named Kali. Same name, different being, completely different being. 
Kali Yuga. The Yugas are the four different uh, ways that the dice, there was an old game of of nuts. You'd, you'd throw these nuts or something, and depending on which one was upside down. Well, anyway, they made uh, the ages out of it. Now, these are agreements with a capital A. Now, if you were coming from a Judeo-Christian background, you might say the Elohim at the beginning of Genesis, we the Elohim slash those male and female things called the Adam that are reflected in the image on the surface of the waters of creation of the Elohim looking at themselves. You know, we have these agreements amongst ourselves, things like gravity, eggs dancing on the street. We're talking about people walking around, their auras, different colors. I like the imagery of the river of death. I mean, really, this book is the closest thing that I have to some kind of holy scripture. Our guest tonight entered my life when I pulled my gray Prius C with the Uber trade dress over and picked him up. Somehow we got to talking about podcasts, and before I knew it, we realized we had a lot in common. So let's get to the interview, shall we? Greetings, Fratter. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Great. So, how was your day? You've been you've been at Fox. Can we talk about that? Or uh, I no. Well, okay. So, I'm, I'm my day is I toast. I'm very very. I'm excited and exhausted. I'm working on a thing. That I can't talk about, but it's okay. a big movie with superheroes. Okay, it's okay, keeping me busy a lot. <laughs> okay, so that we'll we'll let that hang, and uh, we'll we'll find out about that when it comes out. Um, yeah. So now I wanted to, now I know that you've got some stuff that you you want to get to because it's all hot and happening now. And I just heard the CNET interview, so so I will we will get to that. But I kind of wanted to start at the beginning, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so so your mom gave you some Edgar Casey. Oh yeah. Um, well, Way first back. I just want to say I'm, I'm really ex- excited to I'm, I'm really excited to do, to do this. Like I think oh, your good. podcasts. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you. It's a lot that. of it's a lot of fun. I've been listening to it. Um, and like I've been, this has been these these are things I've been into my whole life. But mm-hmm. kind of like in a touristy, like I'm not a learned scholar in this stuff. Right. But it's always really fascinated <laughs> and inspired me. Cool, cool. Um, um, so it's cool to talk with somebody like you that like you. You know, this is kind of you're, you're there, you know, and came back around. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So my mom, my mom um, started me out on on a on a on a path, I guess. Yeah. She had me reading. Um, she had a bunch of Edgar Casey. She was into like Shirley MacLaine. She kind of got got that. Um, she was on that new age kick. You know, we came from now, a, a, a Catholic family. Any. Okay. Okay. So you started out uh, as is it like church going Catholic, but with Edgar Cayce no. talking like five years old or no, not, not church going. Okay. Uh, my mom was, my mom was, was, um, against the, the Catholic church because of its stance on, you know, for feminist reasons, but right. yeah. fascinating by the Jesuits, the Jesuits that had all, always played a role in my family, mm-hmm. um, uh, in my family, in my mom, on my mom's side. So she was really metaphysically in tune with like, I think kind of the more, progressive mystical sides of Catholicism and didn't care for the rest. And I think from there she was, you know, this was the eighties. So she was, you know, into the, into Shirley MacLaine and, 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 Probably and, and, uh, that was a little bit too edgy. 
Oh, a little, little too, too edgy. She was yeah, it was a, was a fine up, line. Fine line. The, the pop up was too much. Yeah, <laughs> we were in Arizona, so there was okay, also okay. conservative ideology at work. Right. So it was this weird kind of mix. She ended up being a priest or a priestess. Do they say? Probably not. In uh, in like a Catholic schism or like a we're going to be even more Catholic, like a Irish getting back good, to the separatist good, Irish roots. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that time, it might have been a phase she went through, but it was a rumor I heard anyway. She was doing confessions by phone. People in Ireland could call in again. She, um, she was responsible for getting trying to get Shane McGowan sober um, off heroin. Oh, um, yeah. She busted him, you know, in an act of love to, hmm. to, try to get her friend back. I've always had a lot of respect for Shane O'Connor. Yeah, me too. But yeah, I was I was just playing her. Uh, she had I guess it was on SNL. She. Or, or maybe I don't remember if it was SNL or, or one of the other things she did where she told the truth about the Irish potato famine and about how what it was was that the British got all the fish and the beef and, you know, carrots and everything. And the Irish were only allowed to eat potatoes and like people don't understand what the Irish potato famine was. And so people were, you know, in the media, they were ripping her a new one and saying she didn't even go to college and all this stuff. So there's this video you can find online if you search for Sinead O'Connor potato famine, where she's, you, you know, holding up the book that she's citing and she's reading from it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so, I've looked that up. Posted that in honor of uh, St. Patty's Day, of course, <laughs> a few, few, last week or something. But yeah. anyhow, we're getting far afield, though. So so Edgar Casey. Now, I've never read Edgar Casey because my dad had, and he told me yeah. about it, and I knew enough not to be interested. But, I mean, his well, I haven't since Edgar I was Casey. maybe – I haven't since I was maybe seven. But just for, for audience <laughs> members who aren't familiar, because we bring together a lot of things, and there's people, as you know, in South Africa who are listening who might not be familiar with Edgar Casey. That's the guy who was channeling stuff about Atlantis, right? Yeah, he was channeling, channeling a lot of stuff, and I, and I didn't – I wasn't so much into the idea of the, the channeling so much yeah. as the idea They always of... lose me with the channeling, but it seems like if you go far enough back, there's always somebody channeling at the beginning of everything. Yeah, like I was just fascinated by the idea of, I think, of manif- of like the mind manifesting or being able to access other people's yeah. thoughts or experiences, and specifically about dreams. He also read about dreams. Okay. Um, and that was the book. I, I think I think I, re- I remember reading Edgar Casey on dreams and Edgar Casey on, on on ESP. And I remember trying to have ESP very, very uh, trying really hard as a kid. Like, yeah, to, like, me too. A very child, like, <laughs> I know. Like, really I'm, I'm a cynic like, born of years of trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like really trying to like think like have ESP the same way you would try to like you know hit a baseball or like try to you know do something physical. <laughs> it's really, yeah, really silly. Yeah. <laughs> Or when a light's going to change or. Yeah. So my mom, my mom, you know, right out the gate, I was, you know, I was in tune with, with all that stuff and she had crystals and I thought crystals were really cool. I was into, I was into, I was into fantasy and science fiction. So like nice. all of this stuff was like a part, like this stuff was a part of the fiction and, and stuff that I was into as a small kid. Yeah. And I think that's, where, I think that's where, you know, the fascination, you know, What were started. some of your favorite uh, fictions as a kid? Um, uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, the Chronicles oh, yeah, of Narnia. Oh, yeah, of course. And, of course, whole... I, my mind goes right to David Bowie standing in front of the wardrobe right before he passed away. Yeah, ver- yeah, I mean, brilliant, going back into the wardrobe. Um, yeah. With the David Lynch backwards walk. <laughs> um, um, man, you know, my, my mom actually had me reading a lot of really great stuff as a kid. Um, um, 
I remember the uh, uh, not just Lord of the Rings, but like I read the Hobbit. I read the Hobbit at a really young age, and then mm-hmm. I got onto the Silmarillion. Nice, you know, all all that stuff. H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft, um, um, Asimov, um, just like all the basic. You know, I was really into Greek in, into mythology specifically. Really into Greek mythology, mm-hmm. and later and really into Norse mythology. Um, nice. Which it turns out is all Lord of the Rings is. Lord of the Rings basically is just. Norse mythology, you take out S- Sigurd, you take out the Aryan Viking hero, and you replace him with a little English, you know, like, like Epicurean, basically. <laughs> like, basically, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, uh, that uh, the <laughs> opening scene of Silmarillion seems to cap... I mean, when people ask me about the story of the fall of Lucifer, I find myself telling the Silmarillion, like, I, 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 he yeah. did it so much better than any religion you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's to me it's yeah to me it's like it's it's i've never read the bhavad gita is that how you oh yeah it? yeah i've read the like the specific parts that people point to that you should read that's um, on my list i don't know if i've read the whole thing that's some Lord of the rings and the vedas right? apparently bhagavad gita is like one little that's like the the equivalent of the song of solomon in the bible and there's the vedas is the whole rest of the book yeah, so Tolkien, Tolkien was yeah the 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 Catholic the cat well, I guess yeah he was Catholic right and Lewis was Protestant I believe right I think right so. yeah I mean I've always liked Lewis's I mean uh, Tolkien's take on his the way he used religion in his world I kind of favored it over Lewis I mean they're doing different things Lewis is doing like a like an allegory and like yeah. and and Tolkien is using the the, the Catholic cosmology as like a starting point to create his own, his own, his own universe. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's interesting that Tolkien's feels a little bit, well, I guess they're both, they both feel pagan, but uh, the, uh, the lion being the center of everything is kind of, I guess, more Protestant, has a more Protestant feel. There, there wasn't as much, the only feminine figure was uh, aside from the protagonist was the evil figure so you know and then on the other hand the tolkien coming from a catholic background had the pagan influence kind of that i don't know it's an interesting it's 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 a little bit more buried in, in i mean tolkien tolkien stuff is it's 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 less less it's less literal it's yeah more, it's Where like Alan like more little... on the other hand <laughs> yeah did you read did you read any of uh did you get a chance to read promethea I, I thought you'd like that. I, I, I read the part where they go up the tree of life and they dive down and all of that. That was beautiful in epi- in the fourth issue. Yeah, it's really beautiful stuff. I mean, that's that that um I think when I read when I first read Prometheus when I was like, I really need to like revisit all this all this stuff that I've always been kind of like interested in and never really yeah. thoroughly thought through. Um um, and uh, I thought, I mean, it was it was so clearly illustrated in in, in that in that comic book, and beautiful in the comic book series. Um, yeah, it seems like it all. Yeah, you find all these different puzzle pieces, and they don't seem to fit together. But then once it all starts to gel together, you realize they're all you know petals of the same rose, if you will. Right. Yeah. They're all inspired and that's... by the same body of. Uh, yeah, and they, and it's it got the sedimentary layers of history and all of that stuff. You know, different people studying the same thing. You got different artists studying the same Pamela Coleman Smith art, and then doing their own variation on it. And everybody recognizes it because we've all studied it. You know. Yeah interesting yeah it's yeah it's like there's i think there's there's certain there's certain kind of thought i don't want to say viruses but there's certain <laughs> thought oh sure you do you don't want to say viruses you like burrows you're a fellow fan of burrows 
Yeah, there's. I think there's. Like, there's just. There's. There's certain like thought viruses that just really work for a yeah. human. For human well, culture, yeah, viruses good or don't bad, necessarily have to be bad. That's kind of a limitation. I mean, what if we can genetically engineer a virus for good? I mean, I guess that's the idea behind starting a new religion, right? Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they found a virus. They found a virus the size of a grape, Ooh. an autonomous virus, the size, an ancient virus. What? Like if we're talking, you know, dawn of. Does it do virusy things? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, not, I am not a bi molecular biologist. So, but like I, I, to what I, I mean, it all had the same, they have RNA, I think not DNA. Yeah. About. Oh, like it was technically classified as a, yeah. Well, so they, they need some kind of external something not of their yeah. species, if you can call them a species, <laughs> you know, like a, an I'm, actual. I'm out of my depth at this point, but the point is it was a, it was a thing that had the same RNA that was the size of a grape, which meant, wow. which meant it was all one collective Thing and and there's but I've I've heard I've, that's so primally creepy. Well, I I've, mean, I've read having I've mitochondria read, uh, is such a basic you know bare minimum standard of like if I'm gonna like meet someone I want to know that they too have mitochondrial DNA you know like <laughs> yeah well DNA is cool too because like DNA a tree like or you know everything except for viruses that, you know? that gets yeah well they're like alien well that gets back to Dune like that the, the whole idea of collective collective um herbert talking about yeah um awakening taking the water of life and awakening all your past oh, lives yeah. and then the water of life as uh, ayahuasca you know putting together uh, well, cosmic serpent and all that but stuff like but like i mean i think to me i think that's just a metaphor for like adaptive adaptive traits and ad adaptive qualities like that yeah. we, we like our genetic heritage is our behavior and it is our anatomy. And so in a certain way, we are an expression of this mountain of experience you know, of experience. Absolutely. Just some years of experience dealing with this universe and this particular. Yeah, and you don't even corner. have to go into the whole soup, you know, esoteric stuff to, I know. I love how like oh. Neil deGrasse Tyson gets spiritual when he talks about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love him. And I love, yeah. I love and they're by, they're my, they're my, They've given me a lot of inspiration and hope like, and comfort. Sometimes, you, sometimes you feel the Holy Spirit moving through an atheist more than uh, a religious person. That's yeah. That's I mean, I would consider myself an atheist, but like a good one. Like I'm not. I don't like get mad at people for having religions unless they right. hurt people. Um, like I don't like you're stupid. I'm like, well, that's, that's not for me. Yeah, I mean, it, if I if I move the goalpost, I mean, like usually an atheist, uh, uh, it, religious people tend to think of atheists as people who hate religious people or something, or yeah. or who think they're wrong because they believe in God. But I mean, my mom kind of raised me thinking whatever you believe is true. So if if you're about to die and you're like, uh oh, here comes the great throne of judgment, then guess what? There it is. Just, but you just created it. Yeah. But if you're like, okay, now I'm gonna go into the bardo and wait for a while and be reincarnated, then you do. And yeah. you know, and if you do do the Buddhist path just right, I guess, then you can break out of that. Or I don't know, you know, may, I don't know how, how far it goes. But I think that, you know, it was it was by by then I was having conversations in words, and so I had lost my innate understanding that I was, you know, pushing away with layers upon layers of consideration of different possibilities. But I guess that's part of the game of life is to get so confused that you're like, whoa, am I mortal or not? I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I, I think. Um, I think I'm. I guess it would be agnostic. I guess people people say agnostic, but isn't it agnostic? Yeah. Well, no, it's acknowledging it's that you don't know. Socrates was agnostic. He started out yeah. by saying he didn't know. Who? Maybe you know this guy. There was a philosopher, uh, an anonymous philosopher that was. Um, mm, he went by the name. Like I think capital A anonymous. 
No, no, we'll get, we'll oh, get oh. there. Uh, <laughs> uh, by by uh, Cito Dionysus. Oh. You know him? Uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds familiar. He was his whole thing was you know God is un, unknowable and, and right. um, which I think is I think is part of Golden Dawn Thelma right like the ultimate God is un, is unknowable. Yeah, I'd There's say an aspect of, of God well, that's completely knowledge, unknowable. Knowledge is in Daat, and if you get beyond the abyss, then you've passed the realm of the knowable up into Bina. And, you know, basically it's thought that while you're incarnate, while you're in an operating, you know, while you're an operating Thetan, if you will. Uh, <laughs> then, That's uh, the most thought viruses we're talking about. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm it spreading works. them on it my works. I find myself, I find myself saying Scientology stuff. It's like, okay. It's working like, its way into the mainstream like Christian. You, but, I mean, the whole English language, if you look at the beginning of it, the first thing written down with Latin letters in an English tongue was you know, if you rip off the church, then you pay for it twelvefold. And it was no un- it was that. while That's while Saint Augustine was standing there watching the king. So Rome. language is language. There you go. Language is politics. Yeah, and religion. Yeah, it's, I mean, wherever you look in uh, Russia, they invented the language in order to translate the uh, Greek version of the Bible into something. And then at the same time, they created Russian culture and language and and art and everything. Yeah. I speak some Russian really terribly. Я говорю русский. That's actually all I can say. I can get yeah, myself in trouble. Too. I, can, I can say some other stuff. I can say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my dad taught me to say Yani Gavardu Pavruski when someone came up to me on the street and I didn't want to talk to them. Like, I went to, I went to um, Italy during the Bush years and um, I was horrified of being an American you know, and. Oh. I pretend to be Russian. <laughs> yeah, <I> yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, my one of my mentors was a beatnik back in the days when there were beatniks, and uh, and uh, after that he was in uh, North Africa in uh, Tangiers. His name was Gordon. For people who are longtime listeners, you'll know who I'm talking about. But anyway, he uh, they they thought he was German, so they you know they'd say Alemania, and he'd say yeah, or he'd say yeah, you know, but it sounded yeah. close enough to yeah that they left him alone. <laughs> yeah, they figured, figured he just didn't have much to say. Yeah, yeah. So these like, French-speaking Arabs were okay with him as long as he was German. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So okay, so you your mom freaked out when you got into tarot and Wicca. That but yeah, that's a natural progression from the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, my, yeah, to- totally. Her it was a thing was where like shorter than yours. <laughs> that happened to me too. My mom was progressive, but she still had a leash. But my leash yeah, was longer. Well, this is in this is in like Arizona um, during you know the eighties and like right. the nineties, basically right, right. the 90s at this point. When it was unanimously Reagan. Oh, nineties. It was uh, yeah. That yeah, and so, complaining about and so, she, <laughs> so she's like, "Well, it's really cool that my my son's into like like you know like crystals and Edgar Casey until you know." He starts, you know, you know, you know, got to draw the line doing, somewhere. Yeah. Doing others, yeah. Doing, other, you know, doing the whole, you know, when she saw the, 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 the pentacles and stuff and she freaked out and the, I was just a little spooky kid. I was like a little, you know, I saw the craft. I started. Oh, really, I, was I one of those met Feruza Balk. I did, I did <laughs> Golden Dawn ceremony in front of Feruza Balk, but hopefully and, it was an inappropriate time to meet her because it was everybody was mourning. But next time, next time I'm going to say hi. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. So. So um, I started getting and I started getting into into you know Wick. I didn't really understand that Wick. It was kind of like a, a bit of an artifice. Like it really wasn't his story. It was a thing referencing other older things. I didn't really understand that at the time right. I was a kid. Um, 
and my mom was really, really horrified um, about that and some other, you know, and I was coming out, I came out as bisexual and she was, you know, she just was like, I didn't like, what have I done? <laughs> so this, they sent me this, this Jesuit preparatory that my grandfather had gone to and mm-hmm. it had been in the family forever. Kind of straightened me out. Was that in Arizona? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did the opposite because now I'm talking to Jesuits and, you know, we're talking about Native American mysticism nice. and, you know, Buddhism and like I'm going to sweat lodges with Jesuits and like, you know, um, and um, yeah, it was actually it, it, it was a cool it was a weird experience. I, those were weird years for me. Yeah, um, I met a high priestess in uh, a Wicca priestess who it was just broke every like stereotype of what you think a Wicca priestess would be in the nineties. You'd imagine like Verusa Balk, you know, this was a woman who I, you know, she used to be like a park ranger or I think she was like a survivalist. She knew, you know, all the stuff about, you know, like astrophysics and the stars and botany and like, truly, like truly this was a, you know, this was a one of a kind. And she was kind of like a, a, a guide for me. And, you know, she was, I was like, at this point I was like 19 she was like 40. Nice. Um, and, um, yeah, she, she turned me on to a lot of, a lot of mystical stuff. Now psychedelic uh, you stuff. mentioned there was some negative aspect to the Jesuit school. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a weird time for that institution where they were trying to grow. And I think they were using, um, it was a select, it was a selective school. It was a, and it was an expensive school. Right. And I think they were seeing its reputation as like a selling point and expand, trying to expand it. And I think kind of, in my opinion, lost, lost the, the path, I think I see. in that it was, Sold I think it was it. the lay, the lay people that were involved that were, I think, subverting and I think doing some really unethical, really bad things. Hmm. Um, and, um, I, I actually left me with a lot of anger that I carried with me for a long, a long time. Um, and, uh, I, one of the priests that I knew from, from, from high school, um, I, I still talk, I'm actually, we're having, having dinner with him, I think next, next week. Uh, I, I got him to conduct a ceremony for my sister who is Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, her husband is an atheist and, but she got married in this chapel at, at my old school by my old priest. He was really, really cool to me. And as we're talking about this, you know, I'm telling, I'm, I'm, I'm done being angry about this, you know, and I'm, I'm like, you know, while I got you here, I just, you know, there's something I want to, I have a lot of anger about this and you seem, you're a, you're a Catholic, you're a Jesuit, you, who better to ask how to forgive, you know, how do you do this? And, you know, he, I hadn't actually talked to Jesuit in a while and he responded with a, you know, the Buddhist parable about, (laughs) about the, um, the two monks and a woman asks them to uh, a woman asked for help fording a river. And it's a huge hassle for one of them because he's injured. And the other one gripes about, about, wasn't it, wasn't it like, wasn't it selfish of her to ask this of us? You know, can't she tell we're holy men? And he's griping about it. And he's like, you know, I, I carried her across the river. You've been carrying her this whole time. Right. I heard a slightly different version of that one. Um, It was that there were the two monks and in their, version of buddhism it was you know they were they had taken vows of extreme vows of celibacy so they weren't allowed to interact with women or touch them especially and so there was a woman who was having trouble getting across the river and one of them said here i'll carry you across the river so the other monk was appalled you know probably the younger monk was appalled and he was the student and then as they walked you know after he was done carrying her they walked another mile and then the younger monk finally said can i ask you something and then of course 
He said, uh, why did you carry her across the river? And the older monk says, why are you still carrying her? Yep, that was it. You got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the story. So yeah, well, yeah, and that's that's probably I'm I'm getting a little bit of that because of the the stories that I'm laying out on the line, which for some people, for like thirty or forty people, are very therapeutic. For thousands of people, are interesting and new, and they've never heard it before. And for like five people, are really painful to hear because they're still too close to it. And uh, so I'm getting a little bit of flack, you know, people saying, you know, you're kind of reopening old wounds. And I'm like, shit, I'm sorry, you know. And then I'm like, am I doing it for ratings? <laughs> no, yeah. no, I'm not. I'm not selling anything. I'm I'm doing it for, you know, my own therapy and the therapy of others. But, you know, yeah, it, it I, I'm carrying it until I stop. And, you know, it, it, talking about it is part of letting it go. And uh, and and also, you know, I've been meaning to write it all down. And uh, this is a way that I can do that figuratively <laughs> but anyhow yeah it's, about a, me. <laughs> it's i mean i think it's important to, to make yeah to, to to make what you do some kind of therapy so you're yeah. getting something from so you're 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 creating something for an audience for people but like you're also getting something out of it yeah something yeah. i don't want to say spiritual but some some you're growing from it which then lets you make you know Mar other mark Barron, whose house i can see from my window right now uh in the in the early years, he uh, he was you know, or at least according to him, I haven't really listened to the early years uh, of his podcast, but it, I guess it was mostly therapeutic. But then he finally came around to being able to focus on the uh, the guest, <laughs> rather than just yeah, his, come on his, here his, and listen to me talk about my marriage. <laughs> you know? His whole his whole journey is also is also really in, in, inspiring. Um, yeah. That, that oh, and um, you're in the same town. We're all in the same town, and and uh, Maria yeah. Bamford's over there, and the people who Bamford, made Simpsons yeah. are over there, and the people who made uh, Avatar: Last Airbender are over there, and yeah, they're all I've over played, there. Um, I've played. Uh, I don't know if you know Jackie Cation is her one of her best friends, also a comedian. Um, we nice. play uh, we play board games with her and her friends um, sometimes, um, and have the in most in wonderfully nerdy conversations about comic books and science nice. fiction. And like her friends, I'm just completely outclassed. I like to think there are those people where like you know you you think you know something, and then you, you start talking to them, and you're like, I just yeah. Didn't <laughs> <this."> <laughs> I know. I that's the thing with with podcasting though is. You know, if anybody actually listens to it, you get the people who know more about what you're talking about than you do. And it's not the same as being at a party of seven people who don't know anything at all about what you're talking about. And you're a little drunk and no one else has anything to talk about. And you can rule. <laughs> yeah, you can just. Yeah. I'm ruling this subject right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've listened to some of your some of the people you've had on have been, you know, they've been very knowledgeable. Really. Yeah. They've been around. They've been yeah. around been around the, the the cosmos and and come back and and um you can just hear it when, you, when you're talking to somebody that the, the just like lit i think there's a way of living life so you're just extracting so much meaning from from everything you're encountering yeah um, do, you, do you have any favorite episodes that come to mind um i i mean the stuff about chardon was was cool oh because cool yeah yeah Actually, my my grandfather, I inherited a bunch of his books, um, and he had a bunch of Chardon, and I'm actually looking at it right right nice. now. Um, but yeah, the Jesuit one, the Bowie one was cool. Um, I listened to the one, the Temple and th the two you told me. The, you oh yeah, yeah, 35 temple. and 45. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fun stuff. Yeah, cool. it's fun stuff. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So, okay, what happened after Jesuit High School? 
what happened after Jesuit? Uh, I went to film school. Um, mm-hmm. well, no, I didn't. I, I kind of, I kind of dropped out. I didn't want to go to, I didn't want to go to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I dropped Understandable. And, and I lived with, I lived in a ghetto in Tucson with a friend of mine who dropped out of Harvard mm-hmm. and we lived in like what looked like a, like a crack house, just writing and being bohemians nice. for a year. And then we're like, yeah, you know, we should probably go the back. Fight to club year. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> yeah, that was, I am. So, so, then, so, so then I went to, then I went to, I went to film school and, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was, it was good. Um, but I was like, how am I going to make a living doing this? This is, you know, this is, I'm in Hollywood and super competitive and what my angle was, I started doing visual effects on mm-hmm. all my friends, student films. And then, um, I, by the time I graduated, I, I had a, a reel and I was getting work as a VFX artist on big movies, actually. Nice. And, um, Are there any making, name on the air? Yeah. Well, my first, I was doing really low level stuff on Pirates of the Caribbean two, I think. And then Apocalypto. And I mean, I, I, my MDB is like super long. It's like, okay. I've worked, um, I, yeah, I, I've done like Hunger Games and Terminator. Oh, Genesis. Nice. And... I was in the background in the, in the last Hunger Games that I still haven't seen. Yeah. Which, where were you? <laughs> in Capital City. I was a Capital cool. City pedestrian. Nice. There were a bunch nice. of other white people. And, uh, so I'm the one with curly blonde hair and they had me change clothes a bunch of times and walk in a bunch of different ways. So if you watch the end, apparently when everything's on fire, if you see anyone running around in the distance, who's a male with curly blonde hair, it's me. You've been multiplied into yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was doing I was doing the multiplying, not on nice. that show, but like that kind of, yeah. that's the kind of stuff. Right, right, that, yeah, that, cool. Um, and you know, and that was I was making a lot of money. I mean, for a early twenty something, you know, kid, you know, mm-hmm. and and it was kind of kind of was kind of dangerous. It was kind of like that uh that part of the Odyssey where they go to the the what was it the Lotus Eaters, you know? I wish you know, I could say I'd read it. So like, okay, so. They go to this island, everything's great, and they mm-hmm. just stay there for too long. Forget they, they forget they forget why they're on the Odyssey. They for, they for, they forget they're trying to get back I to. I think that's where I am. Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, I I found financial success limit. I mean, right out the right, I didn't have that Bohemian period after film yeah. school, but I was being creative. I was like this technical artist, and I had all these like ideas and stories burning in me, and 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 but I was also bringing a great paycheck. So for, you know, a good five or six years, I was like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll start directing later. I'll start writing, you know, I'll start writing later. I'm, you know, I'm working on really big movies um, and, and just kind of placated by the fact that I didn't have to worry about money and all my friends that were like, you know, writing, you know, like spec scripts and, you know, trying to produce stuff. They were all just in the thick of it financially. And I was like, I make like, I'm fine, but I wasn't working on my stuff. Right. I wasn't nurturing my voice because um, I, you know, because I didn't have that that empty bank account gun to my head. Yeah. So the VFX was a, you know, it was a double edged sword. Um, and I've, I've been, I've, I've been kind of hard on myself for for going that route. But you know, now things are coming together for me, and I'm I'm kind of viewing those years as as d- differently. You know. Yeah. Um, and I'm really happy with where things are going, and I don't think I'd do anything differently because like. When it happens for me, and it, it's gonna like, I'm gonna be making stuff that's me. It's yeah. my like, the, the, it's just me, and 
if someone well, I can visualize stuff, but I can't put it on the screen. You know, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to mention my my best buddy Chris. His parents made him do music lessons, you know, piano lessons every day, an hour a day, and then he hated it, you know, all along until one day he could pick up any instrument and play it, and then he plays music and writes, you know, songs, and it's great. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird how like it's um, so much stuff is happening just in this past week, like. Um, it's the kind of stuff that makes you want to make some a skeptic like me want to believe in these, you know, esoteric systems of determination. You know what I mean? Like there's been so much stuff happening for me and I've, it's been such a weird, rough, empty a year full of no work. And now all these projects I've been doing are like, they're taking off and people are talking about them and like, um, it's just it's just crazy how fast it can change, nice. um, which I guess is what's you know blows my mind. Like, and now you know I don't have I'm letting go of re- of my regrets and, and anger about you know the chances I took and the way I decided to play this game and whatever. And 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 um, I'm just excited to make stuff. So I feel you know feel really good. Um, so. Excellent. So I'm, of course, you know, I was selling you in the previous episode as being the guy who made the one with the guy Fox, Max Headroom. Yeah, I love that. I love the music. I love the words. I just like, yeah. So that was I mean, so that was so that happened when I was working, I think, on a God. No, I was working on some bullshit. I think I was like working on like my big fat Greek, I was doing some terrible, like <laughs> oh, something just awful. And I'm sitting at this fucking cubicle. I'm just like, what, why I went to, why am I doing this? Like, well, how did this happen? Like what? <laughs> and you know, I'd been a, around the internet. I'd been a, a somewhat professional troll. Most of my adult life. <laughs> on live journal. Like we were destroying threads on live journal when I was a teenager, we would, right. we would go on. We had this little team the years before anonymous. Uh, we had this little team of, um, internet gremlins we would like go and we uh, we would f- find people on live journal and just destroy their threads with like oh hundreds of comments from all these sock puppet accounts that were like we were called the fathers and we would like it was we, we'd like nice you know quote like you know emmanuel kant like like just like huge text blocks of emmanuel kant inter interspersed with like like car accident photos like just like horrible surreal dadaist like and um <laughs> So I mean, I'd I'd been around, I'd been familiar with internet pranksterism for all my life, basically. And then I heard that 4chan was and somethingawful.com were thinking about taking down Scientology because of the Tom Tom Cruise thing. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was like, "Yeah, we're going to be protesting." I'm like, "You're going to what?" I'm like, "You're going to like like now, 4chan?" Just real quick, be- at that time, the Tom Cruise thing, 2008. That was I that- think yeah. Was he jumping on couches at that time, or what no, was his... that was that was some, some somebody leaked one of the um somebody leaked one of the uh uh one of the internal propaganda you know videos of the him. video you used at the he beginning tone forty oh. no that was I used that video because we released on nine eleven and we were trying to look which... oh right 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 to be on point. But sorry, I cut you off. So yeah. they were, just to show how they were commercializing 9-11 yeah. to, you know, take money from their brainwashed. Um, yeah, no, but, it was the video of, the Tom Tom Cruise. Cruise, of Tom Cruise going crazy, and then um, they threatened YouTube, and YouTube took it down. Oh, yeah. And so, so when he was going crazy, you said about Tone 40? Yeah, he, you know, he was like, he was just going, he was just like talking about, he just was going crazy. He was like, 
he was um, just being ma manic. About, um, he was talking about medicine, how Brooke Shields he, shouldn't be taking medicine yeah, or something. He was tackling, like, really just being just like manic and wow. people were, now I want to go find this. Oh, yeah, that was, you, it was, did you use clips from that also with that, the Max? Yeah, there, that was intercut in, oh, in, okay, in we okay. run. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So that, that video, I mean, so I'm, my friend went to the, I heard that they were, you know, anonymous at that point, um, was, was going to be going into like a, a physical protest, you know, on the street. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, no, there's no, that's not going to happen. Don't believe it. And then I saw the pictures of it. And I was like, I was like, I instantly, I, I realized that this was, this was the beginning of a new era of, of everything. Like yeah. this was this the beginning of this, this was going to change the way it's a game changer people interface with power structures for the rest of, you know, the internet. Yeah. And, and, and I instantly saw what a big deal this was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, I mean, coincidentally, Scientology, they're kind of jerks, but it really wasn't about Scientology, you know, right. I, you know, like um, you said, they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Totally. Yeah. They were at the wrong place at the wrong time. They just happened to be like, they're cartoonishly evil. They're, right at the they time were, where all these hackers were starting to get organized and anonymous. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think it's more, I think it really was more of like a, like a, like a generation of, of kids that had all this, um, had all this, like all these skills, all these ideas, um, all, all this energy that they were spending masturbating and playing Warcraft. Yeah. And, and like, and not and like and like shit posting and like you know trolling live journal and trolling habo hotel and like just being doing what kids do yeah um and then but so this is also i think of this yeah this is before a this is this is also during the bush years so there's all this like the body politic is so there's Gosh. this like there's this there's this like un, there's this thermal undercurrent of just like frustration that like we're in this war that doesn't make any sense and like i think there was just a lot of angst there was undirected and potential energy in, I think my generation around that time. Yeah. And then Scientology just picked the wrong fight and it all just like, like, you know, clicked into place. Like, and it was just like, it was incredible. It was like, it was like, you know, a, a dominoes someone, you know, they just knocked down a, a domino and it, and it, it was a ripple effect. And I've been working on a, a, a sci-fi comic uh, book series or sci-fi novel since about 1999. And it, 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 it's in the future in an alternate timeline, but it traces back the, uh, the underground or the reason why there's any free people at all that, uh, you know, that aren't jacked into this horrible, hideous, you know, empire machine. Uh, the reason why there's any freedom at all is because of the hackers that came together and united in secret in the 1990s. And so I supposed that that existed on, you know, that that uh, was out there. And I heard rumors that that was kind of true-ish. And I kind of felt like it was inevitable, like it was th that was going to coalesce and there was going to be, you know, uh, uh, a, a certain power that couldn't really be couldn't be sold out you know it couldn't be it couldn't be uh corrupted or co-opted because yeah because it's um, just based on purity just the feather of ma'at the feather of truth the scales but, that balance themselves and then but then the, so now the game has changed so, so much like 
I since mean, then it's been i mean it's been just fractured into a million like yeah uh, that seems inevitable too it, it is inevitable i mean what, yeah. what 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 creeps me out is you know seeing isis using the same strategy social media strategies that i was using six years ago literally yeah literally it's so weird seeing isis do the stuff anonymous was doing yeah that's like chilling and yeah. but and it's but but it's the same yet inevitable it's the, it's the same idea um and it's just forever. It's well, just, they learned it that, from watching you guys. <laughs> that can't ever happen again. I mean, yeah. like the, what happened with with Scientology and, oh, then, and, then, and then and then the Arab Spring. It, it, place. It, at, they're at inoculated point, now. They're, well, um, it's not that they're inoculated. It's it's that I think that um, once I think like the internet as a collective organism, the, the internet subculture as a collective organism became self-aware it lashed out to the closest thing to it and then realized instantly that it hated itself and <laughs> fractured into like, you know, <laughs> I mean, lull, lull sec, the people that took, you know, that took, took on, uh, they're just in it for the lulls. Well, there's, there's lots of different, but like, I mean, like the people that we were doing stuff with against Scientology years later are hacking, you know, Sony mm. like last year, like, right. <laughs> and so, I mean, that idea of like there being a collective, I mean, anonymous now, I, yeah. I, the reason why I'm talking, the, re- the reason why I'm talking this now is because I'm not a part of it. It's changed so much since I did stuff that I'm not betraying any, I'm not even aware of where stuff is planned now. Like I'm not a part of any of, I'm on any, I'm not on any of those channels. Right. So back then it was really localized. There were a few places where you know, it, was, it was a big community. Now it's a bunch of just renegade, security crews to go around and do their own thing which is you know that's just what, what happened and i got out of the game i had a lot of fun i i i my the crew that we i was in we we came away scot-free like we got away with so much nothing we actually didn't do anything illegal um we were really good at, at um at getting other people to get excited about ideas and then they would do it and take credit and, and, and take credit for it which was great because yeah. we didn't want credit, we didn't want heat. Um, if other people wanted to kind of follow what we were doing and push it, that was their choice, and we weren't doing it for for that. You know, it's been right. what like six years, seven years since I did this, and I haven't given any. I haven't talked about it. I mean, a lot of other people, you know, gave interviews. Um, I we did a few interviews, but we always used different pseudonyms. Um, we we would use pseudonyms from other groups. To, to like troll them to make to piss them off so if we didn't interview if we didn't interview with the LA, LA weekly we would say oh we're from this right right group. but we're not <laughs> we're just we're, we're just using their names <laughs> and then we'd spout our 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 ideology so um, did you have the sledgehammer or the fire extinguisher oh i was i was a sledgehammer nice i thought so <laughs> yeah i was a i was a sledgehammer so that i mean that was yeah, I, you know, I, that was a turning point for me. Like I, I, that was so much fun. I met so many fun people. Um, um, I recommend that if, if at all possible, kids get involved in, in social engineering or, or hacktivism about whatever their politics happen to be. I mean, I think the reason what excited me about anonymous was like the idea that there are all these people that didn't, didn't have any, that didn't felt like they were 
not going anywhere. They felt like they weren't in charge of, of the world around them and they could like take up this idea and do whatever the hell they wanted with it, whatever it was. I was fine with people doing terrible things because I knew that, that, that there would be people that would want to fight that. And I just wanted to mix things up. And hmm. that's what you do when you're young. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can relate with that. So after the work with Anonymous, you, you said that that got you noticed. Was that immediately or six years later? Oh, that – oh, so um, so it's funny. Like I'm still in touch with, with my little team. Um, we're all out of it now and well, for a long time. And we're all successful in what we're doing, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met these people through doing this. And for years, I didn't know what their names were. And I didn't know what kind of lives they, lit, they led. Um we just connected about this one thing and collaborated really well, well together. Nice. And, uh, I think the, the point I got out was, um, I remember the moment was, uh, I'd made, made these videos that were successful and, and, um, a friend of mine, um, was, uh, an influential member and we were, uh, he had a specific, a particular way of dressing that wasn't the guy Fox mask. And, and, um, he would, he'd been followed by, you know, by Scientology and, you know, he's been harassed. And so he had this other guy would dress up like him as a decoy. Like, and so we, he's like, Hey, I want to show you something. And we went to this protest and it, it was a guy dressed like him holding up a TV playing my video. Nice. And we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and Jonathan, he's like, and he, t- he told me his name. I'm like, nice to meet you. And we just fucking walked away. And we're like, that was it. We're like, it's out of our hands. They can do with it whatever they want. <laughs> like, you know. Nice. And huh. and uh, and yeah, it was a nice. It was like it was kind of wake up call for me because you know I'd spent you know years doing VFX work that wasn't like satisfying you know, to me in, in like a creative, creative way. Now, did you want to mention, you had told me a story about when you didn't realize you were using tech when you were wearing a Guy Fox mask? Oh yeah. So, so to do hold all this stuff, we all like learned cause we, they leaked like the HCOB, they leaked like everything. And we just were voraciously reading all this Scientology mm-hmm. material. Cause it's fucking weird. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and fascinating. Um, and uh, and so now, HCOB. We, what does that stand for? I don't remember. What's the? It's one of the. It's one of the. It's one of the manuals. It's one of the manuals about like, were you ever an ashtray flunk? You know, it's like, it's one of the. It's one of the. Um, Here, I'll look online. Uh, the Hubbard Communications Office Bulletin. Right. Interesting. Anyway, so we we all figured out how to talk like them. Yeah. Uh, and we were, I mean, I, I don't know, like to be clear, like I, I, where I fell on the whole moral scale of anonymous, I was, I was pretty like chaotic. Good. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I, I had sympathy for the ex Scientologists. Um, I, you know, I wanted to foster this like sense of, of, you know, I was, you know, human rights, uh, free speech or things that are important to me. And those were, yeah. ideas I was pursuing, me but too, I also understood yeah. that like, chaos was fun and sexy and got us press. And uh, <laughs> so I just want to make clear that I, I was, I, I, you know, I'm not like laughing at all Scientologists. I understand that there's a lot of, it's a totally complicated it's thing. It's a layered and complex yeah. issue. Yeah. Especially yes. if you're born into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to be clear. I'm not like 
Um, so we, oh, so yeah, we were, um, there's a video. So this is, I, I get off like somewhere in some like Scientology, you know, like headquarters, you know, they, they watched, they were watching me. Like <laughs> they, there was this crew, this documentary crew, um, that were very talkative and, and, and they came up to us and they were like, we're making a documentary about anonymous. So we have all these questions and we're like, yeah, this is what we're about. We are going, we know how to get press. We know how to make, we know how to look good. We know how to run this. Sure. Talk to us. We've been, we've been getting ready for, for this. So, you know, I go get some guy, I, I basically set up a shot and, um, we're, we're talking and, um, she, you know, she's asking me things like, you know, it's a typical thing. And she's asking me things like, well, you know, on 4chan, there's, you know, sometimes people post like child pornography. Do you believe in child porn? I'm like, no, of course not. I don't, I'm not responsible for what other people post. I'm not responsible. I'm only responsible for my actions. I mean, well, does anonymous believe? I go, what you're talking to me, you're talking to one person. I can give you my thoughts, my beliefs. If you want to know what this person says, ask them. Like right. I, we're not an organization. Scientology is. So understand that. Like yeah. I, we're not here to like talk about what we believe in. We're here to talk about forced labor. Yeah, there's no you know, Nicene so, creed for anonymous. Yeah. So, so like, you know, we're engaging them, in, I, I, you know, and then on a rhetorical level. And then, so the more and more she keeps saying the word source, she's like, well, what's your source for that? And what's your, and, and there was an, wasn't another like kind of low level buzzword it was source. And like, I don't remember. It's, years ago but like mm -hmm. yeah i was getting a vibe like the the she was using source and she was using um there's one other term she was using and i was like i was like turning to like the, the kids next to me who i didn't fucking know like this was so for like a you know a kid in, in his in his like early 20s like this is like it's like it's totally sexy and like spy stuff you mm -hmm. know, like, it's like, I don't know who this person is. We have code names, you know, it's like the stakes are low because we're taking on this like kind of, you know, goofy, you know, organization. Um, and, and, and I'm like, it sounds like she's a Scientologist. Like, I think I want, I think she's cool, but I think she keeps on saying stuff like tech and like source. And I just like, look at her, like I make icons and, I, and I'm like, are you a Scientologist? And she like totally can't she can't do it. She can't lie about that. And I yeah. can instantly see it. And, and she's like, well, we're talking about, and she's like changed. I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm like, you're a Scientologist, aren't you? And it's like, she couldn't lie about it. And, uh, I just like looked at her in her eyes and I'm like, if you're a Scientologist, I want you to know that I don't hate you. We don't hate you. Like, and it completely like, just like they had a plan for this encounter. And at that point, that plan was no longer like on the right. Board. You could just you could just see the whole dynamic. Yeah, they were playing war. Change and you you changed the the name of the game. Yeah, yeah, and and at that point and around that time, like you know, at that point she started asking me, "Oh, are you an ex Scientologist? Were you in?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not. I've never been a Scientologist. I don't." And so in in her mind, it's like. She's thinking he's lying. That's why he's wearing a mask. He's lying. He's an ex-Scientologist. And right. so, you know. And, and that's probably what they're telling the Scientologists about what's going on with Anonymous. It's exactly. like, oh, don't this pay attention woman, to these. Poor woman they have an who, axe to grind. Yeah, and, this, and this, this poor woman probably had to go, you know, pay a bunch of money for a sex check or, you know, figure out what pulled that in or, you know. And, like, I mean, that's – and, like, that's what's sad about it is, like, you know, it's easy to make fun of Scientology because, you know, they've, they've done some terrible things and they're kind of backwards and – 
not until recent until recently they were super in, anachronistic techn technologically um but you know people are ruined financially emotionally by by this organization so yeah. you know i yeah um i i think what ended up happening was i, I think the good that came out of anonymous in scientology was letting the ex-scientologists know that, that it's the it, it's safe to fight back yeah you don't paul haggis can write his novel you know like it's totally safe if a bunch of kids can piss all over these people and get away with it it people that have had their you know families taken away can really do something now yeah and so that's cool um yeah i just didn't it was just i was over it i was like it's this isn't personal for me. It's personal for some, for some people. And now these people can do what they need to do to make it right for them. Um, so Here's yeah, that was my anonymous thing. Well there done. was a party there. Honestly, there was a lot of drugs and sex also in party. <laughs> of it course. Was, it, was, it was one would I'm expect gonna that. Cool, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to write a cool story about what happened to me in, in, in anonymous and it's going to be great. Well, yeah. So Mr. Robot heavily, heavily borrows, I think from the anonymous, style of you know the, the rhetoric and the propaganda which i was kind of i have part in doing um mm -hmm. and like and and so and mr robot's a great show i love it uh and so my friend my friend um my friend who was also an anonymous is now she's uh she's in the biz as well mm -hmm. she knows the showrunner and knows his agent and and you know uh went to him and was like have you seen this video and the dude was like, oh, my God, that's from our show. And she's like, yeah. Um, he's like, who made that? He's like, well, one of my friends, he's a director. You should meet him. And so that that was how I start, started taking meetings at, at agencies was just off that. Wow. Which is funny. You know, I, I just thought I'd throw this out there because it occurred to me when I went to uh, sign up at um, – I didn't mean to cut you off. I'll get back to what you're saying. Okay. But uh, over in Burbank, the uh, what, what is it the thing that the background performers all sign up for? Casting, uh, casting services, casting crew, central casting. Okay. You have to sit in line for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And then they take the first 25 people in line and everybody else has to go home and come back, you know, next week. And, uh, you know, just to get you, people used to being treated like cattle right from the get go, because anybody who has any dignity will never come back and then they'll never be a background performer. So um, meanwhile, while you're waiting, the Scientologists come and hand out little pamphlets. So I just thought it might be fun just planting little seeds out there if somebody came around and handed out little anonymous pamphlets. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly the kind of stuff like that's exactly the kind of stuff that was happening in 2008 and, yeah yeah cool cool um, i think the important so like i think i think you know and then and then the arab spring happened and right which so how was, did it transition from a local our local cult here in hollywood to the opposite side of the world all of a sudden yeah anonymous ddos a the uh the um the dd the department of defense a department of defense website that the Ayatollah's government or regime was running to report your neighbor for protesting. Right. And that the was whole 1984 thing. That was the last thing I was tangent, tangent, tangentially involved in with anonymous was, was, was project green wave. Nice. Um, and you made I a video to let Iran know that what was happening. Now I, I do other things. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't, want to, don't want to make this a confession. <laughs> uh, um, but and I, whatever, that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. I just was like, it was a cool thing. So I want to be part, whatever. Um, but you know, and then, 
and and now it's you know the stuff that we were doing is i think common you know it's common it's just it's just how you know it's just it's just changed so yeah um yeah i was i was really happy to be a part of it i had so much fun and um it kind of got me kind of woke me up creativity creatively with you know it's like hey i want to be doing stuff i don't want to be stuck in a cubicle yeah doing stuff that i'm doing um so fast so, forwarding to now there's something about uh deep dream and virtual reality and i heard uh, yeah part of the cnet interview. i'm releasing uh so i'm i'm really excited about virtual reality um and i'm gonna be yeah i'm gonna be releasing um a deep Google deep dream, the first cinematic Google deep dream, virtual reality experience on Monday. Um, nice. I did an interview on C on CNET about it and, um, it's called dream time and you're inside of a dream. You're inside of a dream that I had nice. that is populated by a dream that a computer had through the learn the uh, Google deep dream learned neural network thing which um to people that aren't familiar with that um this is super complicated and i'm gonna give an explanation that i only sort of understand um so essentially essentially um there's google um researches image recognition and machine learning to aid in image searches and understand like right so they so make what's called similar. That's why like uh, visually similar images. So you set you, you upload a picture of a, a cat and it says this couch looks a little like your cat. Yeah. Um, recognize faces. Um, and, um, and, Oh, right. Yeah. Do you want to tag your friend so-and-so? And it's the first time that picture's ever been online. You're like, how did you know? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a whole body of research and, and work that is, lets us do things like that on the internet. And so somebody asked the question, what happens if we go at the, if we go the other way and we feed it noise and ask it what, what it sees. And we ask it to draw what it sees, render what it sees. Yeah. And we get these incredible psychedelic experiences that are the product of a neural network. It's an artificial intelligence neural network that learns, um, modeled the trippy after. The thing about that though is, I mean, if you imagine, I mean, I'm going to get a little fruity, a little far out and I don't say fruity yeah. as anything, but just kind of like new agey. Well, um, like, uh, I, I, it, the, uh, if there's something there that's so subtle, you can't see it. And the mind kind of like gets rid of it because it's some freaky alien ghost thing with a big eye, you know, for instance, um, then, uh, it seems it stands to reason that if you take a photograph and do something like what you're describing, like, do you see anything there? Do you see an eye? Do you see a face? It'll just pull the ghost's face right into the foreground where you can see it. So, I mean, like, if you're a little bit paranoid and schizophrenic, then Google Deep Dream is kind of terrifying because suddenly it's opened all the portals to all the demonic realms that are constantly around us. That's a whole other that's a whole other <laughs> that's a, that's a direction some about. people can go and there's a few stone people listening to this right now going well, oh fuck <laughs> well the internet is itself the internet is itself like a resonance chamber for like basically the no the chardon's noosphere yeah, like the, yeah. but it's like this but it's recursive like chardon i think thought about like the noosphere as like and almost like this oh god what's the term like a big library, um, Alexandrian library, you know. Yeah, like, as like this institution. Comics. It's like, yeah, it's this constant. Instead of, it's this like, it's like, 
instead what we have is this basically the id of humanity in looking at itself in a fun in a funhouse mirror forever yeah and um and uh that's i mean kind of what deep dream is 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 it's it's recursive it's asking so okay you so you sort of saw an eye now what do you see you see more of an eye now now you see now oh no now you see an eye in the eye and now you see and so it's this recursive loop of like um anyway um yeah about about schizophrenics and and that because basically the it, 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 we're talking about assembling meaning looking assembling meaning from from nothing from chaos right. looking at chaos and 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 making it which it's which is what dreams are i mean which is what dreams dreams are is this chaos of um you know, uh, stimulus that we've experienced throughout the day in our lives that our brain is, is kind of the, the tides of our consciousness are kind of kicking up and, you know, part of our brains like, Oh, we have to assemble these stars into a constellation and make a story yeah. out of it. And when we're yeah. little, we have to, tr- we have to train ourselves not to see monstrous faces in the dark. Cause you just do, you know, I mean, the, yeah. the mind puts them there cause you're looking at little That's floaties and different That's little That's what we things. do. That's yeah. what our brain is there for is to create these realities that we can experience and share with, with each other. Yeah. So, so it, the internet then becomes this interesting there's a, there's a whole thing that fascinates me um, called gang stalking on um, on which is uh, people with uh, clinical conditions that are paranoid that believe that they're being followed by by who knows by followed by people they count how many red cars they see and they think they're being followed so now on YouTube these people can find each other and validate their own delusions. Wow. And there's whole communities emerging of people that are convinced that are either paranoid schizophrenics or delusional that are, you know, filming where the thought control rays come in. And then people are then validating that they also see them because they all, they, they're sharing a similar delusion. And then they'll post a videos of, you know, you know, how come I've seen four, you know, for Tauruses today, you know, this is, that can't be a coincidence. And so, I mean, to a, to a, a psychologist or a ther- from a clinical perspective, I don't, I'd love to talk to a, you know, somebody, um, in, in, in the psychological school that could like, what kind of problems does this, does this present in treating, you know, delusions? If you can go onto the internet and validate whatever yeah. thought you, which also has echoes in right. our political climate. Yeah, like you wake up one day and say, you know what? What if the Earth is actually flat and they've been lying to us ever since Columbus? And then you go find David Icke. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Name your reality. We can render it as long as you keep looking at this screen. You can, you know, and so it's, and I mean, and being look at how. It's like looking up a misspelled word and you find a million other people misspelling the word the same way. So you figure it must be spelled correctly. Yeah. And I mean, this is why. Did you mean now? But. I mean, everything is getting balk- balkanized and, and segmented because of this. Yeah, everything from our our our, our political our our, uh, our our political apparatus to the entertainment system, the, the, the entertainment industry is getting increasingly segmented. Um, a friend of mine went in to pitch a show at um, Netflix, and he's like, it was an animated show, and he's like, yeah, so I have this really great idea. It's like, you know, it's a kids show, but it's also a show you know parents could watch, and like she just. He, she just stopped him and, she, and, he, and, and she was like, oh, we don't do segmented viewing or no co-viewing. We don't do co-viewing. The kid's watching it on the, on the iPad and, and the parents never even watch it. And hmm. he was just like, I, 
co-viewing. That's like a concept. I don't, we don't do co-viewing like that. <laughs> Narrow right. casting this, only. There's this a movie the guy for the daughter, the, a movie for the son, a movie for the father, yeah, a movie for the mother. Simultaneously. Wow. Simultaneously <laughs> on each device. Oh. Well, it's um, true, though. I mean, I walk around and see everybody on their phones. Teaching yoga, I see people on their phones. I, I just uh, – well, before we get too far forward off away from something that you mentioned earlier, um, there was this guy, not a particularly nice person, but uh, I was Uber driving. And uh, it wasn't you. Actually, that's how we met uh, since just for yeah. an amusing anecdote. But anyway, um, it was a different guy in Santa Monica. And I said that I was a yoga teacher. And he said, you know, every girl I've ever gone out with – well, he was saying every girl I've ever met – who was into yoga was chemically imbalanced. And he said, and it was, they, they would always say, Oh, I, I have to go do my yoga. I don't feel right. I have to do my yoga. And, um, it's an <laughs> okay. interesting point, you know, cause how do we deal with an internet that will confirm any paranoid idea or, you know, like, uh, the, the web MD or anything like that for, for people who are hypochondriacs is just unplug unplug you gotta look at your posture and look at the, your posture when you're sitting there looking at your phone and put down the phone and focus on the posture and the breathing instead that's what you got to do that's why i'm teaching yoga i'm like uh you know trying to get the word out here to the esoteric nerds so anyway i'm done <laughs> yeah i think there's going to be i think there's going to be an emerging youth youth culture counterculture of um of uh of ludditeism mm. within our within our lifetime like yeah probably in the years where you, once um, they get rid of the phones and it's all contact lenses then people can do yoga while they surf the internet but i you know i think i think i think i think um kids are going to reach a point where they're like fuck this yeah no facebook is a yeah. thing our parents have you know yeah oh yeah well because it'll be so expensive i mean we know it we know how expensive it is to have a car and registration and insurance and then a computer and netflix and hulu and all this other stuff and then a phone with unlimited you know it's just uh, every every time you turn around they're charging you for something that doesn't need to be charged for that really yes. <laughs> you know it could just yeah, be I standard mean, and I, I, just alive. Of, <laughs> I just think of I, I just think of crowley like honestly because I, crowley to me, Crowley seemed to be like the beginning of individualism mm, in like yeah. a modern philosophical sense. Um, and like the, you know, everything that happened in, in the sixties in with the revolution, the sexual revolution, psychedelic revolution. Yeah. He definitely, stuff. his message resonated when, uh, yeah. And like, and that sense of individualism is what like America is just fucking high on. We are so high on, on individualism. We're just, we're like, like that's our thing. Yeah. And, and we're making everything, you know, we're making, we are, we, we are the, we are the people that are manufacturing ideology. Like that is our export. generating illusions. We, yeah. We, we manufacture ideology and we manufacture this idea, this ideology of individualism, which I'm not going to comment on now because that's a whole, whole other thing. Hmm. But my point is like, this is like, I see Crowley is the start of like literally all of this. Like this is like, you know, the same way that the, the phone, the phone and, and se segmented inner, uh, segmented entertainment realities and stuff. Um, are, you know, everyone is choosing, is trying to segment and individualize every aspect of their user experience. Their entire life is becoming a user experience, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I, so I don't know. I just, these patterns are interesting. <laughs> it's kind of cool that everybody's called a user now. Cause it, back in the, in the original Tron days, I was the only weirdo calling myself a user. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So, and I'm, I'm part of it. I'm, I'm trying to get everybody in, in, into, in, in a VR visor that, you know, <laughs> there um, was that, uh, that gift going around on the news feed of the, the girl sitting next to the guy on his visor. Did you see that one? No, I haven't. She's but... looking really bored and he's like, <laughs> he's got his hand up in the air and he's looking around with his visor. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're going to, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget reality, reality. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I don't know where this is going. I don't know where there. This is. So when we were in anonymous, I coined a. I. I. There was a phrase. Have you seen um? You seen Willy Wonka in the in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the chocolate factory? And that part when Willy Wonka is in the they're in like the tunnel uh-huh. and they're on the boat and he's like, "There's no way of knowing which direction we are going. There's no earthly." And like that's that's I think. <laughs> There's no way of knowing where, where, where this boat's going. Like, yeah. I don't, are we going to be living under a global caliphate? Um, you know, with like Muslim robots, I don't like, fu- I don't know what is ha- going to happen. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> well, imagining, so, imagining so a United direction. States with Bernie Sanders as president versus one with Donald Trump as president. <laughs> it's a kind of a mind blower. I mean, I, I assume the, you know, the shadowy puppet masters won't actually that this is all just entertainment and like, that they're is, just going to is Mike is, is Mike judge like a fucking high magician and he's like just creating idiocracy like <laughs> inside no, of I think he sees he's reading like, the signs of the times and just seeing if things, you know, ch- keep going along this path. What is the logical progression? Yeah. Well, it's all fascinating to me, and it's all—I don't—I don't know. Like, I'm—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be asking the questions I'm—I'm I'm asking and doing what I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm doing. Well, I think that there's going to be a convergence down the road where the world that everybody's going to be living in, like for example, when they go to work and they sit down in their cubicle and they turn on their virtual reality goggles and they start doing customer service and this horrible world of banner ads, there's going to be an outside and that's going to be where the work you did with Anonymous meets up with the work you did with virtual reality and they come together into the sci-fi that I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I don't know, I think, I think that, um, I think that, that, no, I don't know. I don't know. There's no, there's no fucking way to know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I that's cool. That's though, exciting. Because then sci-fi just pours out. You can't help it. You know, imagine. What did, I mean, what did um, William Gibson famously said of Michael Jackson? Um, uh, he, I, it just makes my job harder as a science fiction author. If this is, this is back when like Michael Jackson was the weird thing the singular weird thing to talk about in pop yeah. culture. And now it's like literally like everything. I mean, we just had an, a- an AI chat bot became a neo-Nazi sex robot over the course of a, of, of a day on what? Twitter. You didn't hear about this? No. This is insane. So Microsoft created a millennial um, artificial intelligence uh, Twitter account that would engage, that would tweet to people and engage in conversations contextually and learn things about the people that it was talking to uh-huh. within what you look up these tweets within one, within one day, she went from, Hey guys, I can't wait to meet, to meet you guys. I, she, she, she's like, Hey, Hey, I can't me- wait to meet all you. I think humans are so cool. The last, the last she went from that to like Ricky Gervais, like to like Hitler was right about the Jews oh my and God. demanding that people like, 
you know, rape her. And she turned into like a Trump loving neo-Nazi sex robot. Oh my God. Just based off what people were, were telling her, saying to her. How so, weird. And, How scary. Well, again, it, 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 this goes back to, I mean, it's because it's, it's not like that. She didn't get there on her own. It was, that's what people were saying to her. Yeah. But I mean, if that's the stuff that's going to create the first artificial intelligences. It's scary. I mean, hopefully they've learned not to do that. <laughs> I mean, there was that one guy that made the mistake of having a live Twitter feed next to him while he was standing at a podium in front of 4,000 people and at a camera. <laughs> that only happened once, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, so maybe this will just be a one-time thing and in the future AI will, you know, be plugged into people who meet a bare minimum standard of... I don't know. But then who decides who decides what the standard is for being civilized or being good as opposed to evil or whatever? I mean, that's the whole extreme. America has taken free speech to such an extreme that you have liberals standing there watching the Nazi parade going, I'm glad to live in a country where people are free to have a Nazi parade. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can I can I, I, I will defend. I mean, I'm a I'm a hardcore free speech. Activist. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't see a problem. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. Um I um I think our I, three I, our three tiered system you know or you know the the way we vote and everything is definitely a, an an evolution on the old system. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that you know we're talking you know we're talking about governing uh, a country that's basically a, a hemisphere. Yeah. Cross. And a lot full of, of different communities full inside of, of it. Full of it's riven by racial t- historic ra- racial tension. Yeah, um, has an incredibly opaque um, um, judicial. You know, like our our how our, how our like electoral system even operates with like you know money is even is is is, is, is opaque. I mean, like it's you're never. I think the duty of government is to get as close as it can to 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 order and no, no, no government is going to do it. And the bigger are yeah. the, the bigger this monster is, the harder it is to, it is to control, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, people, you know, I mean, I guess Amsterdam and, you know, Sweden might be nice. They're also the size of my like hometown. Right. So yeah. Like, small cold <laughs> places seem to do well. Yeah, They don't have any immigration. <laughs> like they don't have any, like they, they, they don't let anybody in. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to run a tiny rich country than it is an enormous, you know, nation, you know, that is trying to accommodate the needs of, well, of and such the a wants. Vast... I mean, yeah. the, the old American dream got a got a new definition post World War II when just by sitting back and watching the rest of the world shoot itself in the foot repeatedly for years, we ended up being the richest nation in the world. And so everybody got spoiled by that and thought that they could work at McDonald's and pay pay the mortgage on a, a, a white picket fence house. And it turns out that that's that's got a expiration date on it. That was only going to last twenty three years, you know, or, or however long it lasted. I mean, I think I think that I think that we're incredibly fortunate to have what we have, and yeah. we don't think about the third world. And I think that we we've enjoyed we enjoy a standard of living. I think at the expense of a of a of a, of, a, of the global community, right. and that if we live together on this planet. I think yeah. we've got to think about how that is going to be sustainable as it's the world incredibly as the world shrinks because people you know the population is skyrocketing and because of you know communication and technology 
Yeah, it's, well, there's, it's all- there's a couple factors. I mean, there's, of course, as the rest of the world builds up, we're going to have to share the economic wealth with the, with the whole world. But as we learn to play together, that'll mean that we'll all be able to share wonderful stuff. But then you have the Koch brothers, you know, you have people siphoning off all this power and energy into a bubble, you know, in an offshore account. They're all fucking old. That's the thing. Like, these are these people are dying. Like they're, just, I, I just want them to die. Yeah, Seriously, where does all I, the I, money go when I, they die, I, though? I, I just want, I just, I'm, you know. So I'm from Arizona, and Arizona, I think, is going to go through a sea change politically as the baby boomer generation begins to die, um, because Arizona is just. A, let's just consider Arizona a cross section for historically conservative. Um, states, which, yeah, which, I'm pretty familiar. I, I, I yeah, I mean, maybe it's not, maybe it's, right. So a lot like, of blondes. I grew up. Um, I, I mean, Mike's and the family had incredibly racist. You know, I grew up with around my, I mean, my my parent, my family wasn't, but there were people in my family that were like, yeah, we grew up hearing terrible things. Um, so that and there's lots of them because they're the, they're the baby boomers. There's that's what they did. They boomed. Yeah. Um, and now they're all old. And there's a bunch of brown children that outnumber them in Arizona that are probably pr- progressive because they, you know, don't want to be deported and you know they want they're here they're here to work and 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 like yeah. the the reason and what's making the people making their life hard are all the old white people they're right. hanging on to this idea that America is a thing that n- never actually has been or yeah. has been or has been at the expense of many other people. So what happens when all these boomers just over the next 10 years just start to drop like flies and we're left with all these like Latino kids that are now can vote. Arizona's going to go from red to blue like at least I hope it is. Yeah. And I think I think that's going to happen might tip like the balance. I think I think we're going to see that. I mean, I I just wrote a I just wrote a feature film that actually just got into a a festival in South Carolina. Nice. Uh, it's a horror it's a horror movie. Um using zombie the zombie genre to talk about just that Mm -hmm. it's about the change in in as the millennials take over from the baby boomers um and try to try to you try to move forward in a positive way yeah um and gen x just sits there complaining (laughs) yeah gen x was gen x was you know they were born into that like into the into the into the surplus of you know the the clinton you know they they got a, a skewed sense of of, sa- of safety. You know, rebellion to them was 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 doing nothing because that's what made that's just the way the cultural equation worked out at that time. Yeah. Um. So you know, I don't. Yeah, I just sort of imagine like also uh, created the internet. So yeah, that's true. Well, <laughs> well, I'm technically Gen X. I'm I'm right at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any problem with, with, with whatever. I don't you know. <laughs> I remember playing Atari. That's a, really the only difference. <laughs> yeah. I remember a friend of mine had, had, had an Atari. It was, nice. it was old. <laughs> so, um, so David Bowie. Yeah. Bowie. Just, uh, yeah. You were mentioning about, uh, he and, uh, what was it? Oblique strategies. Yeah, well, that was yeah, that was, that was so that was Brian Brian Eno and another guy whose name escapes me created. So this is in the seventies. Um, I mean, this was um, sort of an extension of like the Beatles did stuff like this too, where they would like 
throw tapes up in the air and rant, just let kind of chaos determine, make creative choices for them and then elaborate on those right. formally. Um, but to kind of inject a sense of chaos and randomness into a process to kind of give it more life. Um, yeah, that makes me think of D and D. Yeah, Bowie did that with, on Diamond Dogs, I believe, where he would cut up magazines and throw them up in the air. Oh, cool! And he was burrowsing pop culture. Totally, yeah, burrow. Yeah, yes, exactly. And you know, if you read the lyrics to to you know a lot of Bowie's stuff, it's kind of nonsense. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So Brian, you or know how to decorate. Speaking as something else, you know, speaking as the robot. He's a storyteller. Yeah, he's yeah. a storyteller. He's either telling a story, or um, that, that's what I like his storytelling stuff. That Diamond Dog is my favorite album. It's always been my favorite album. And to me, it's a to me Diamond Dog is this weird, like carnival freak show hybrid of of 1984, and and a you know a a junky. Uh, you know, like a, almost like a Burroughs type character. And, you know, there's some science fiction stuff in there also. Um, nice. And it's, it's, I love that. And outside, outside and, 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 um, and diamond dogs are kind of spiritual, spiritually related. And he, before his death, actually, he was talking about, um, about, um, Eno was saying that they should revisit outside and do a, do a part two to it. I think Bowie thought he had another mm. year left. That's what, oh, that's, what he, yeah. that's what he said. He knew his day. Oh, so when he recorded that second album, it wasn't intended to be an album to come out post-mortem. No, I think I think that probably became the, the way to go at some point. Yeah, the, he might have figured that might happen. Like, yeah. One, one, now that it's been recorded, release it next year, whether I'm here or not kind of thing. I think, he, I think uh, according to Eno, he wanted to get one more album out. And... Now, there's a book. I, uh, I recently found a YouTube video and I want to look that up. Um, there was a book he wrote and I guess he was reciting passages straight out of the book. So there's like in the cool. there's illustrations and stuff like that. So Ramon and all these mysterious characters for people like me who've listened to outside over and over and over and over. Oh, and I, I had my own yeah. whole, yeah, I had my own whole vision of what was going on, but I guess there's actually a book I can go read now and find out. Oh, that's what, cool. What he's yeah, outside, outside creep me out. Like you know the <laughs> yeah. the the baby Grace or whatever. Oh yeah, and, like it's, it's creepy. They won't um, let me see anybody if I want to sometimes, <laughs> and I ask. Yeah, she's something. like all drugged oh, up and she's news. dying. It's it's really chilly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the opening is great, where he's naming off all these different random dates: Tuesday, Thursday, March twenty fifth, mm-hmm. April third, and then finally it comes in with the with the music, with the strong music, and he says, "Now, not tomorrow." Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. But it, then it I don't know what he's talking about, but it works for me. Yeah. Yes, it, it hap- it's outside. It's about it's yeah, it happens. It's happening outside. <laughs> he's, he's, talking, he's 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 talking about the world. So yeah. this is like this is like the, on that album. That's like the Greek chorus saying in Fair Verona where we lay our scene. Like he's saying it's happening here. Like this is the world. He's laying out the you know. And, um, I think that's what it's supposed to be. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, it happens outside. The uh, it's like there's layers, of course, because he's always got layers. I try to aspire yeah. to have you know at least three levels of meaning, but it's like the immediate surface is the song I'm hearing is happening outside right now, like the you know him singing, and it's happening now. And then, but at the same time, what he's going to be talking about, 
you know, if you're asking, well, where is this? Who is this? It's everyone. It's everywhere. There's it's, a city. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's everything in the world that he's going to lay yeah, out. For you. you can find that old lonely man in any old. And Diamond Dogs opens the same. Diamond Dogs opens the same way with a with a, a chorus and ending the death as the last few corpses lay rotting in the slime. I'm gonna have throat. to check out that album now. I haven't gotten the to that. The shadows lifted in ancient, high on budget and red mutant eyes gazed down, hung no more. Yeah. So Diamond Dogs opens the same way with a story about you know, with, about it. Um, but um, so I put uh, oblique strategies are actually in my VR experience. They're on a sign. Oh, cool. They're on a road sign. They're on a road sign. And so as you're in this world this kind of chilling weird world um the, the sign is asking you questions saying just then some of the most of them are from brian eno's oblique strategies um some of them are from dreams i've had one mm-hmm. of them is uh teeth in the dark it says teeth in the dark it was from a night terror i had when i was so dream i i'm a very lucid vivid dreamer all my life it's i've been that way um nice. but I, when i was a, a child we were I don't, I don't, this is one of my only memories, like as a baby, baby, baby. I was like a little, little tiny kid, barely like languagey. Mm-hmm. And I, we were going camping and I uh, have this memory. I have lots of really good memories from, from when I was a kid too, but this is a weird one. So, um, and I had a night terror, a straight up night terror. We're in the, so my parents, at this point, they're like, they must be like 30, 31. They're, you know, like they're, they're, you know, young, they're like young parents and uh, they're in the middle of the woods and their kids just screaming like a night terror, not waking up. Yeah. It's fucking horrible. They're in the fucking wo- Like this is like, this is like a Sam Raimi movie. And I wake up and all I say is uh, teeth in the dark. Hmm. There's teeth in the dark. And that's what I remember. I remember seeing teeth in the dark and that's like, so it's like, so, so such a, such a, Vivid, vivid thing. So I put teeth in the dark on the on the sign as well. That's not from Brian Eno, but it's from a dream that I had. Um, um, I had. I've a, had. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just gonna say. Um, it reminds me of a dream I had uh, when I was a teenager, and I don't remember exactly what the words were, but it was in French, and it was graffiti on the wall, and it said, uh, "To live without passion is not to live." And this was in your dream? Yeah. Okay. Super and I took, cool. took that with me. So, all right. Here's a question for you. I remember in psychology classes being told by psychology PhDs, people that knew these things, that you, you should not be able to read in your dreams. Oh, part- I think that's BS. Yeah. Whenever anybody I, says there's no this or that in my dream, I go dream it just to <laughs> prove them wrong. You know? Okay. Right. No, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not trying to. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I, I, well, maybe I'm, that's but, too general. But, but there yeah. is, but, but there is some, I mean, these people aren't just pulling this out of their ass. These are fucking scientists. I mean, I guess, but so yeah, what, no, no, go on. What, what were you saying? So like, so what is, so yeah, I want to talk about dream, dreams for a second. So yeah. what is that? What is what is wired differently in our brains that when we dream, I can read things, I can hear music, I I can dream, I can come back from a dream with a music with a tune in my head. Well, here's like, one thing that when I was young, what was told to me was that words won't stay. Like if you look at them, like if you see a word like the word cat in a dream, while you're looking at it, it may stay. It might even change while you're looking at it, but if you look away for a couple seconds and then look back pretty much guarantee it'll that's change. exact so that's exactly what that's happens how i test sign. yeah that's exactly what happens to the sign in my vr dream oh exactly cool. That. cool when you look away and, you, and you, you look back the words have changed yeah 
Nice. I'd look at my watch and I'd look away and then I'd look back and there'd be a cue in it, you know, in the time. And I'd be like, oh, what am I doing? If I was sitting in a, a classroom, that'd, that'd be where I'd stand up and dive through the window and go flying. Yeah. So hopefully my watch will never malfunction. Um, I, uh, I, I've had a, for years I had a recurring dream. Um, this is a weird one. Mm-hmm. Uh, being on an empty space station, like an empty, I'd love to hear your take on this, by the mm-hmm. way. So, um, an empty space station that's like, feels like it's like a Ridley Scott, like kind of like Warren lived in, not technologically super advanced, like, like an oil rig, it'd be like an oil rig in space, but really vast and big and like, and cavernous. Like a, like a, uh, a guild, uh, are you into Dune? Yeah, like, no, I'm, we can talk about Dune for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, super, the, the Guild high, uh, Highliner. It's, it's more like it's more like a parking garage or like a air, right. or like a hangar, like yeah. industrial, in, in, like in the prequels. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, and I'm I, I'm walking around. It, it's empty, and I always end up in the crew's locker room. It's completely empty, and looking at old things that used to belong to people. Um, or sometimes there's memories of like, like Stephen King's talk, talks about having like a, a place where you store your memories in your yeah, dreams. Memory palace. Yeah. Or there's memories of mine that are there as objects. And I always have this incredible sense of belonging and safety in this derelict empty space station. Mm-hmm. And the sense of belonging and safety is very profound and real. Like, we're talking like ecstasy, profound and real. Like if I if like if, if I'm on MDMA or something. Like yeah. it's this very real sense of being at home. And a lot of times, I'll be having if if I'm having a nightmare um, or in, experiencing anxiety, I'm running from something. I'll turn a corner and I'll find myself in this locker room or in this space station, and like I've just entirely turned around my dream and I'm in this like safe place. And I had this dream for like five years. Like, what do you think? What, I mean, I, is it possible I'm actually on a space station and that's my reality? <laughs> like, I'm... yeah, there's a few things that come to <laughs> mind. The first of which is that, and I, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm just citing this experience and then I'm going to draw it right back. When I was young and I would listen to um, space oddity, I didn't know what heroin was. I didn't know there was a double meaning. You know, I didn't know what I didn't even know that he wrote it the year we went to the moon. So there was I know I know now there's a lot packed into that song. But yeah. at the time that I first would listen to it and my mom would kind of reference the the feeling that he was evoking in the song. It, um, that's what came to mind when you told me that's your tin can, you know, <laughs> like yeah. a, like a very kind of like a, a four year old listening to to that and not associating it with addiction or anything. Um so that was thought number that was layer one. Layer two, um, there's a there's a great sci-fi called uh, uh, Judas Unchained. That's the uh, sequel to Pandora's Star, and uh, there's a character who's created his home inside a hollowed-out asteroid, and that's a cool one. But anyway, so yeah, I in in the system as you know from episode 35, there's the. Uh, the Temple in Malkut, and as you know from episode 45, there's the Path of Tav. It almost sounds like you've got a temple in the Path of Tav. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. That's interesting. 
or even a temple in Malkut that outlasts the earth. You know, like maybe for some people, it's uh, the past. You know, maybe it's being in Ireland before whatever. Uh, and for other people, it's being in a castle or a church. And for other people, yeah. it's, you know, maybe a space station. I mean, why not? It's, it's Malkut. Right. It's the it's physical the, it's... world. It's so – all right. Here's a question about the tree life. Or maybe the future. Maybe you've projected farther in the future than the space station and maybe you're tapping into a future life or even a past life if we're jumping around non-linearly from life to life. Yeah. It sounds like I need to write a film about it. Oh, yeah. There's at least yeah. five different It's I mean, like that. That's, right that's, it. that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's – I mean it, I don't know. But it, the feeling of belonging is what is what is so yeah. odd about it. I'd like to that's, see a virtual reality make, of that. It's not the recurringness because it, it's the it's the feeling of of belonging. Yeah, it's a feeling that I don't actually experience in my waking life. Yeah, is what's weird about it. That's a trip. Yeah, it really is a trip. What about this? Have you ever have you ever had psych? Have you ever actually tripped in a dream? Like like I've had dreams where I'll take acid or mushrooms in my dream. Yeah, and I will experience experience sensations and visions. Like I'm actually hallucinating. And we, I mean, on the number seven chromosome, <laughs> there's three enzymes clearly written out who have very specific jobs, which are to create dimethyltryptamine in the brain. And in the, I, I've had dreams where I smoke weed and wake up with cotton mouth, you know, and, and, and yeah. a little bit high. So, I, and I know our brains also produce THC. So, I mean, it's just, to me, it sounds like the brain in a dream you know, there's those extreme cases like it, people get hypnotized and you put a cold quarter on them and say, this is boiling hot, and then they end up with blisters. So it stands to reason that if that happens, that smoking pot in a dream, the brain will just say, oh, okay, let's make a bunch of THC and release it. Because that's what trips me out about, about drugs, huh? It's a fun pun, um, is um, you're, not, you're not tripping on the drugs. You're tripping on your own reaction to it's already in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. The dopamine that the there. drugs are triggering. Yeah. We have all these experiences locked away in our brains. If we knew how to use our brain, if we knew how, if we had yeah. the full owner's manual and not just the, uh, if we, if we have to root our brains. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, have to, um, jailbreak our, we have to jailbreak yeah. our brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yesterday when I was, or yeah, yeah, it was yesterday I was teaching a class and I was saying, okay, it's Friday night. So, you know, when uh, I was using the example, you know how sometimes your computer gets a little slow, you've got too many things running and you kind of have to turn the whole thing off for fit count to 11 or whatever and restart it. Well, that's what I'm going to do. So if we do it right, that's, you know, when this hour is over, you're going to feel like you've just reset your computer and you're ready for the weekend. Yeah. But I wanted to mention, um, just because we're kind of on the subject again, before we got too far in a different direction, um, I alluded to a dream that I had with Merrick Hamer. I, I didn't dream with Merrick Hamer. I was talking to Merrick Hamer in a previous episode. He's the, uh, well, he's down at the Fauché Lodge in Culver City. And I mentioned going to a, a planet that was created by the collective will of the Sea Org. And he was like, that's really weird. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll change subjects now. But this might be a good time to go a little more in depth with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was battling demons. And mind you, I've my whole life, I've uh, used that method, you know, looking at a word, looking away, look back at the word. If it's changed, you're, it's a dream. And so I've never, ever, ever had it happen where I looked at the word, looked away, and looked back, and it was the same word. And it was a dream until one day when I was the first time I was Hyrus. So that dates it. It must have been 2001 ish. 
or 2000-ish and uh, late 2000, I don't know, something like that. And, um, and so there were just one thing after another after another. And, uh, and I was learning to battle with positive energy and divine names rather than lowering down to the level of whatever the critter was on. If something wanted to fight with punching or something wanted to fight with insulting and being angry, then I'd elevate above that and, and just blast them with divine light and love and kind of learning the subtlety of, of, of that kind of battle. And then so it felt like you know, a video game where each boss was bigger than the previous until finally I found myself on this planet and it was a small planet. You could see the curvature of it real sharply. So it was like clearly smaller than the moon, like a real small thing. And, um, the, the thing about it was the street signs stayed the same to the point where I could look at a directory map and go, I walked that way, made a left, and turned right on that street. And the, the street names were still there. I'd look back and, They're there. Back and they were the same. And wow. I was like, what the fuck? I have never been to a place like this. And um, so there were like houses and stuff like that. So I went to the main building because there was a very clear main building up, kind of like, you know, Tibet style uh, that was elevated. And I went inside. And now... I, I don't know if my subconscious is like oddly racist or whatever, but I'm just going to tell you because it's the way it was. So there were a lot of Asian people in suits, uh, like they were in a, in a ballroom. And I got the feeling that in reality, they were in a basement on computers. But in this world, they were, they were here and they were dancing. I don't, I don't know what the heck that means. It was just something that, as I was walking by them, it was like I was walking down a hall, and I looked to my left and saw them all in the ballroom, and I was like, oh, those are the people on the computers. And then I kept walking. And uh, I, I ended mean, it up, could have been a StarCraft cafe in Korea. Maybe. I, <laughs> but I, I ended up being directed to speak to an older woman who was in a position of authority, and she basically asked me what I was doing there, and it was the same kind of thing where she was like, are you a Scientologist? Are you an ex-Scientologist? How did you get here? And I was like, honestly, I was in another, on another level fighting demons. I'm from the Golden Dawn. I, <laughs> uh, I, I ended up here. I don't know. Somebody tricked me. I took a, a wrong turn. And she, she, she told me, I mean... By the end of the dream, I felt like I had agreed never to tell anyone about the experience, but I hadn't, you know? Like, when I really thought about it, I was like, I didn't take any th such oath. But she told me that they were ba – basically, she was like, we're going to let you go, but on one condition. You must never tell anyone of this place, you know? And so it was like, by virtue of the fact that I woke up afterward, I thought that I had agreed to this deal and I was bound to it. And yeah. – uh, but the odd thing was that at the point where she said, we're going to send you back home now, I'm like, can't I just wake up? And she's like, no, it's not that simple. And it was very, very vivid, very, very lucid. I was kind of trying to wake up. And then so then I went outside and it was the fucking Delta Flyer from Star Trek Next Generation. And like mm -hmm. literally, and I was looking at it and touching it and everything like, so this is what the Delta Flyer feels like. And then I got in and I was like, oh, very nice furniture. And it closed and I was looking out the window and it lifted up off of this little planetoid. And I was looking out the front and it was the Enterprise, the, the, the Enterprise C or whatever from, you know, next generation. And it docked and there was a hissing sound. The door started to open and I woke up in my fucking bed. And that was my experience. <laughs> yeah. 
what crazy. the fuck was that? But there was one point on my way while I was waiting for the meeting with the important lady who was going to tell me that I wasn't supposed to tell anyone. And I, yeah. I was kind of drilling her for information. And there was a big computer. And I knew that the computer was the heart of the of the operation and it was through the collective will and visualization of a bunch of people but it was very very complex I mean now I have an idea that if I memorize the tech dictionary and absorb it and digest it that that will be the shape of the computer I was looking at but at the time I was looking at all the different mechanisms and dials and and gauges and trying to memorize it in hopes that maybe I'd be able to wake up and draw it but of course and to no yeah and come bring something back bring a jewel back with you yeah yeah i brought the general experience back but not the specifics yeah. that looked like yeah yeah that sense of trying to bring something back is always uh, it 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 bothers me when i, when I have a really yeah. dream <laughs> me too. that i can't i want to bring i want to bring it back with me into reality that was and the I, that was the good thing about – I mean that was the best part of Freddy Krueger, you know, Elm Street was when she had the glove in her hand and all that shit. So cool. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean and like that's – I mean that's why I'm making movies. That's why I'm doing things the way I do is because I want – I love the fact that I can – some of the things I've done are literally dreams I've had. And like I love that I can like – literally take somebody into my brain not not literally i understand what that word means basically yeah but that's yeah <laughs> it's metaphorically not the opposite of literally um well the jury's still out on that one as far as i'm concerned i mean yeah. i've got an image of you that they say is above and behind my right ear and when i'm talking to you i, I i'm I'm talking to someone who sounds like you, who who has an image of your face and an approximation of your personality and history based on what little I know. And it it's part, it's one little subroutine going on above and behind my right ear. Meanwhile, you know, connected to facial recognition software that takes up like a, a substantial chunk of part of our brain. So it's kind of amazing that, you know, computers have gotten to that point where it's just as good as we are. I don't yeah. know where I was going with that. I, if there was an end to that rant, I, I don't. I've know got I've got one more. I've got another dream dream question for you. Oh yeah, as, yeah. As a as an esoteric magical, you know, someone from that whole world of thinking. I've so two other experiences that um, I've heard described as maybe a I had a seizure, like a little seizure. Um, let me know what. So I had, I had a dream experience right as I was waking up. This feeling that my brain is my, I, I can't, not my brain, my, my sense of reality, my consciousness um, is being stretched. That's just the only way I can describe it is my whole sense of self in the world around me, but I'm dreaming. So what I don't even know what that means is literally being stretched, stretched and pulled tight like a slingshot. And it gets to a point where it can't, it can't go any further or it'll snap and at that point, whatever is pulling my consciousness back into this incredible line of tension releases. And in this same weird sense of time and space that's kind of figurative, um, my consciousness, like, like elastic, snaps back into its normal shape, whatever the fuck that means, flying through this imaginary space-time and hits reality the moment of now. And I wake wake up like an explosion has gone off in my head. Lights, fizzy stuff, static, and I'm just awake like that. Mm. What the fuck? It happened like twice. Like this is like, you know, 
I think I was I was a teenager. Really, really memorable though. You don't forget something like that. Yeah. What the fuck do you think that could be? Well, I mean, I I, I don't know. I'm certainly not. Yeah, of a, course, yeah. I a mean, professional dream interpreter. But the thing it reminds me of was a, an experience my mom had, which was one of her most powerful, vivid astral experiences, where she went outside of the universe and she saw time space as a little purple ribbon floating in the void and it had a beginning and end and um then she went back into it and she's kind of kind of it was one of those things she was always trying to get back there um because for for that while she was there it made sense and she was outside of time and uh, but the difference is that you were the ribbon in yours yeah yes yeah yeah but in both so cases, I guess there's hope in that you can get outside of it. In both in both cases, there's a displacement of self. Yeah, this idea of that's looking true. or perceiving the world and the self from a external, to use the Scientology term, right? Uh, from an external, you know, POV. At um, a certain point, the individual self just starts to seem like a practical, you know, convention, like having an avatar so that you can have a conversation, or you know, having Something to keep your body specific body alive and make sure so, that it's so fed. This this like phenomenon I experienced happened in that period between um, consciousness and sleep, between REM and, and waking consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the the you know the shadow people, um, um, sleep paralysis phenomenon as well happens in that kind of sweet spot between sleep and wake. Yeah. Um, and um, there was a study done. Um, if you, if I re- really recommend making your homepage um, fizz.org, fys.org. If if you're looking for a good homepage, okay, um, physics.org. They, it's it's whatever's happening in the world of science. Put in lame terms you can read, but then the people that comment on it are like fucking scientists from those like. You can just educate yourself by reading the comments because. Nice. Anyway, there was an article, a study done, where they were able to successfully simulate the displacement of self to think to make you think there's somebody else in the room. And they did this by moving shapes in and out of your field of view while you were in sort of REM sleep. Um, so there is a, a deterministic, like, there is a piece that can be mapped scientifically as to, like, wh- why we can, like, think about ourselves in these external weird terms when we're sort of sleeping, I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it was a, it was a cool, cool study, but it, it all has to do with when you're between the sleep and the, the between period. Um, it makes me wonder about certain memories of, uh, you know, where you're kind of thinking, but not in self, you know, and it, I wonder sometimes if I remember before I was born, because I do have these odd memories of uh, of not being, you know, of being vividly there, but not having this idea of a body or a separate self. But I mean, that might just be some kind of dream state that I had after I was born, you know, but I mean, I I imagine that maybe that's what it was before I was born. There's a book. um, If you're ever looking to read a book, um, I know people have a huge long reading list. There's a book called Kochik Latayev, which is a Russian modernist novel by fucking what's his name. I'm trying to find it. I don't see it. Um, It's about, it means little Latayev is a name and Kochik is like child. um, And, uh, it's about 
um, the, the way a child perceives self in the world starting at inception or like in utero, in like in utero, the in utero yeah. self. And so it starts out just in descriptions of color and form and maybe sensation. And then the language becomes more sophisticated and, and articulate as language develops in the kid. So he's perceiving the face of the mother. It's exactly what you're just, it, it's the same phenomenon you're describing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's Russian. I mean, or the, English, or the racist Twitter feed or whatever it is, the consciousness is coming to experience. Yeah. Yeah. But as, as he, as he becomes, as the brain, as, as the brain collects more information, its ability to perceive the self as more refined and resolved, almost like, like a render engine, like a, like a yeah. render engine. I know. You know. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. What a trip. It's like you start out, well, I'm like my parents, and then later, I'm not like my parents. And then in the end, you're like, well, I guess I'm sort of like my parents, but different. <laughs> There's a yeah. whole process we all go through. Um, yeah, it's, 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 fa it's fascinating stuff. So I wanted to run an idea by you real quick because it's, it's part of the, uh, the whole sci-fi thing I keep making reference to where virtual reality and uh, – and anonymous come together eventually into these uh, a multitude of free worlds. What's called free worlds in the in this particular timeline, uh, in which there was a Henry the Ninth, for example. Um, well, what 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 ends up coming out of it is you know it's it's kind of on the level of the Matrix as far as the realism of it um, and the interface with the brain being very uh, you know um, solid. So. There's a there's an island you go to and in this place called the coffee house that ends up being the interdimensional coffee house and has doors open to all dimensions. But barring that sort of supernatural element, um, it could be done probably in the relatively near future as an interface between virtual worlds. For sure. Yeah. Where you have like a, a malachite floor on an island, you know, and there's tables and chairs, people talking. And then in the middle, there's a pyramid and the pyramid's mirrored and there, you know, maybe there's a night sky overhead and then ocean in the distance and maybe other islands to, that are the same. And, uh, and each door leads to a different virtual world that someone has created. Just to, to give a plug about that, if you go to uh, edward-reap.com forward slash coffeehouse podcast, or for those who are a little more hardcore, you can throw a .xml at the end. Uh, yeah. And that'll bring you to, to my uh, sci-fi radio show about the coffee house. And it kind of goes dips in and cool. out of the Whittian podcast uh, for the – Yeah, the I'll, I'll I'm, whenever I'm doing – doing these VFX jobs. I'm always, I'm always looking for things to listen to, to distract yeah. my brain. Yeah. Um, and then down the road, um, I'd, I'd love to collaborate on, um, making that coffee house, a visual reality or, you know, an experience or maybe even an actual place where people can meet and talk I, I, uh, when I was a kid, I made this thing called the neurophone. I didn't make it. Of course I, I made yeah. the, you know, I, I called it, it wasn't an original idea. I was drawing from brainstorm. You remember that movie yeah. from the seventies? And I was I imagining so. what if you did it as a phone where you put something on your head and someone on, you know, in, in New York or wherever, put something on their head. And then you're both sitting on the great wall of China, having a conversation or wherever you want to go, the moon. Yeah. I, that's actually really funny. I was talking I was just talking with a, a colleague of mine about exactly that idea with yeah. VR. Yeah, exactly, nice. exactly that idea. I look forward so, to seeing it. I'm I'm sure you'll be right right at the forefront of that. 
Well, I so I my angle on this whole thing is I'm I'm a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I'm not interactive. I I'm I am just doing linear narrative experiences. Um, at some point, someone might hire me to write interactive stuff. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, but um, I am unfortunately constrained by the arrow of time when yeah. it comes to my art. Aren't we all, yeah. I, I am not. Well, no. I mean, like coders, like game designers, certainly they. They can make that. I'm, I am, I'm a filmmaker. Um, so, which is like kind of like cool because I feel like the competition's not as heavy in that realm as far as VR right now goes because everyone's going for interactive stuff as they should because it's fucking fascinating. But I want to see what I can do with that arrow of time, beginning, yeah. middle, end. I still believe I can make interesting things like that. Um, but um, what you're describing sounds really provocative and really interesting. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like super, super busy, but I'm sure we'll stay in touch and, you know, talk. Yeah, no, I I, I look forward to seeing what you're up to in a few months and down the road. So I'm too. Um, I'm uh, I just I'm going to I think when we met, actually, I just shot um, this project, which is I'm pretty sure is going to get get into some big festivals called Dorothy. Which is a very it's a David Lynchy type thing about an actress who has a nervous breakdown doing a viral video stunt at where she's Dorothy and actually becomes Dorothy. The mm. character literally becomes her on Venice beach and goes insane because she's in, she's in 2016 as yeah. the character Dorothy. Um, <laughs> it's worse than Oz. <laughs> it's, yes, exactly. Um, and, and uh, so that's out to festivals right now. And that it's starring Megan Rosati. She's a, she's a web person. She's a web thing, but like that, man, it's just all happening so fast. Like I, I hope it. Maybe I don't want to jinx it. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> great. That's exciting. But um, I, I, yeah, I'd love to see you. I'd love to hear you. I want, I want you to experience Dreamtime because I think I love to hear your take on it. Um, yeah, it's like really psychedelic and. Well, let's and meet down at Cafe de Leche maybe tomorrow and. Uh... Yeah, well, I'm so tomorrow. I'm rendering. It's I'm oh, okay. I'm launching. I'm launching, I'm launching Monday. Um. Oh, okay. So so later in the week. Yeah, I'm launch. I'm launching. I'm launching Monday and um. And I don't know what the future is. That's cool. That's a good, that's a cool place to be. Yeah. And now, what's the URL of your website that has your demo reel and so, all that? Yeah, it's uh, com is me. And that's got everything I've done on there pretty much. Cool. All my – everything I've directed and everything I've, you know, VFXed and, you know, some failed things. My anonymous stuff isn't, isn't on there. Um, I'm coming – so this is actually the first time I've talked about anonymous – in a in a as jonathan sims like i've never you're getting the first of it nice <laughs> um, nice yeah, i'm gonna be in a documentary next year um and i'm not sure if they're including my stuff with anonymous um in that um they very well might um so i'm i'm putting myself out there i'm coming out of the closet as an anonymous person um nice. i figure six years after the fact makes me not a sellout right i mean yeah. it's over <laughs> well like you said the anonymous is kind of different than it was yeah so, yeah it's a it's a different it's a whole different but thing, i you know? i mean i you know i think that there's a lot of people wearing guy fox masks and pointing cameras at themselves but what i saw was awesome and it you know i mean that and that it, yeah. it just spoke right to right right on point it was just every word was was pointed it was, in the right it was direction fun. It was good. It was fun. It was, it was, those, those were fun. 
fun times, um, fun, weird, weird times. Um, and I'm glad I can talk about it now because yeah. I, I've like, it was such a good experience for me and a fun experience that I didn't, I didn't want to sell out. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to do what I saw. Every... Purity. Yeah. You know, there was like, I didn't even use that, like, that YouTube account Valsupa. Mm-hmm. I don't even know the password food anymore. I got mm-hmm. drunk because I was paranoid about, we were, we were being, we were being pursued by other anonymous factions that were mad at us for we were called moral fags mm-hmm. moral fags were the people that were doing the scientology stuff because there was all kind of factional anonymous to do you know evil bad stuff and then the people do good stuff and like they don't like each other mm. we were like in the middle but as somebody that made a successful video there were elements in the the underground that that were unhappy with what we were doing and I got paranoid one night and I was wasted and I complete, I don't have the password to that email yeah. account. I mean, to that YouTube account anymore. Um, that Valsupa name is never, I never even used that name in any of my, like, that was a misspelling of Voluspa, which is the first book of the poetic Edda of Norse mythology. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was, um, but my, my point is I, I was just disconnected from like, we would do stuff and like, they wouldn't know it was us in the community, you know, yeah. it, was, it was fun. It was pure. Yeah. It felt, it felt like therapy, like doing something cool, watching it take off and not having any credit, not, not, you know, and then fast forward to, you know, six years later, I don't have representation. No one's buying my screenplays. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of like, what, what would have happened if it would have, if it would have sold out then? Um, but I didn't. And now things are working for me off, you know, and, and it's, Life's a weird journey. It's yeah. a weird, weird, it's a weird thing. And that's good. I like that it's weird. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been a great, enlightening conversation. Thanks for your uh, your take on some of my dreams and stuff. And, yeah. And um, I look forward to hearing who else you have come up on here. Sounds and... good. Yeah, we're going to have a guy named... Uh... Golden Stash, who is remaining anonymous, um, but I know his name. Um, but uh, I can tell you off the air. But anyway, um, he does graffiti art in Boston with an esoteric theme. It's a uh, a master mason from the 1970s that has a metallic gold mustache. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's going to be on. Cool. Great. That sounds like lots of fun. Yeah. Apparently, well... he's a big fan of the show. So that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, you, you're actually um, friends with uh, one of my friends, Chris Chris Donham. Is a uh, um, do you know him? He's yeah. we we have a mutual friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to look that up. Let me see. He's like an old friend of mine. Like we lived together. He he actually lived with me when I was doing it on anonymous. He let me see. Twenty eight mutuals. Oh, through the hive. Through the hive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I used to make so you, uh, the the Gwydian videos are all mine on the Hive YouTube page. No way! So we actually probably at some point. Do, did you used to go to those those parties at the Hive? Yeah, I didn't make I didn't make it to the Saturday ones because I had a neophyte uh, standing, you know, every every first uh, Saturday. But I would go to Art Walk, so I was the Art Walk guy. So I made uh, the Gwydians so Art Walk video. Chris was living at the Hive at the time, and I was there in some of the storage storage spaces up above it. And, yeah. Uh, this is 2006, I think. Um, okay. And uh, I was a part of, I mean, I was around a lot, so there's a chance we, we, so you remember Travis in the back? Yeah. Yes. Travis, yeah. Travis Morley. Yeah. 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 
you might remember Stephanie was hanging around. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, in small world, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense because, yeah, the Hive people are all kind of – there's a lot of overlap between the communities that I find myself Yeah, you know what I realized? The one thing we didn't talk about in my evolution was I was a Randian for like four or five months before I came out of now, the closet. Now, what is a Randian? And I Rand. I was into like like objectivism for like oh, five Randian. months. Oh, Randian. Yeah. Okay. Like when I was when I, when I was living with Chris. Yeah. I turned this huge asshole because like <laughs> I had to like, apo- like I apologized to everybody everybody afterwards for my my Ayn Rand phase. It was funny, but well, I'm 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 one of those guys that doesn't <laughs> like Ayn Rand but hasn't read Ayn Rand, and so I can't argue with anybody because they say, "Well, have you read it? Well, then shut up." Well, so like I was I was uh you know I was closet I came out of the closet super late like I was like 27. Mm-hmm. Because I'm bisexual, so it's really easy. Bisexuality is the last closet. It's like mm-hmm. really easy to stay in the closet because you can hang, you know, you yeah. can have girlfriends. Like lying, like I really like girls. Um, so it took it, – it, I, I, it was hard for me to come out. Um, and it took reading Ayn Rand, which has taught me to be a completely selfish asshole and hate and just not care about the rest of the world. That's what let me, you know – Coming out of the closet, and then once I did it, I realized I didn't need that selfishness. Like I, that was like I don't. This is this is actually bullshit. Like, sorry. Like, yeah. Um, but Chris, Chris and I were together. Uh, not like physically, but like we were living together at the time. And I think I was a jerk. <laughs> I think I wrote him a letter like, dude, I'm really sorry about. Yeah. Like all that like Ayn Rand shit I did. Like I was confused. <laughs> like. Yeah, 2006 and 7 and 8 and 9 were all kind of <laughs> – but yeah, particularly 2006 and 7, I was going through some rough times myself. Cool. Well, that's funny. Well, hey, thanks for having me on, on the podcast and the, and the chat and everything. And, yeah. Um, hey, do you remember a guy with like a black fedora that used to hang around in late 2006? I don't think so. I mean – red nose. <laughs> that was there me. Were... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were people. I mean, that was like there. Everyone was in costumes. Like it was yeah. madness. That was yeah. my first costume before. Well, like the hat got stolen. Then someone, uh, uh, a friend of mine, bought me the red hat. So now I'm now Gwydion yeah. wears a red hat. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'll have to listen to your other your other 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 podcast. Yeah, I'll send you some links too. Sweet man. Well, I'm gonna go render some stuff. All right. Have a good night, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you, Jonathan, for coming on the Esoterra Nerd Podcast tonight. And to quote the famous Star Wars politician, I'll be watching your career with great interest. Thank you to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Jofuku Inn Temple on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing right now. Thank you to Tangerine Dream. And most importantly... Thank you to you, the esoteric nerd, wearing a Guy Fox mask, listening to this podcast. And so, if you would close your eyes, bow your heads, and bring your hands together to your heart chakra, as we say, we are anonymous, we are legion, we do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us.
Good night.